This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. Today, I'm going to be getting into my Pac-12 football season in review, but first I'm going to tell you why in a week where gambling controversies took center stage in college sports, I believe the legalization of sports gambling is actually a positive thing when it comes to rooting out corruption in sports. So if you haven't been following the news, gambling has been at the forefront of the conversation in college sports this week. And obviously, this is a podcast where I spend a lot of time on gambling. I spend a lot of time giving out picks. I really enjoy gambling on college sports, and I know a lot of you all do as well, and that's probably part of why you listen to this. So I figured I need to start there today because there has been a lot of news centered around sports gambling and not in a positive way. And these two stories have led a lot of people to the conclusion that the legalization of sports gambling is something that is bad, it's something that's going to lead or is already leading to corruption in sports, and I feel exactly the opposite. But before I tell you why I feel the opposite, let's get to the details of the story. And there are two stories here. The one I'm really going to focus on is around... Alabama baseball coach Brad Bohannon and what's been going on with Alabama baseball. So Alabama baseball played LSU, one of the top teams in the country. In fact, they've been the top team in the country for most of the season. They just fell out of that number one spot uh, when the polls came out earlier this week, but a, a fantastic baseball team. They played LSU in a weekend series a couple weeks ago. On the Friday night game on April 28th, Alabama scratched its starting pitcher. If you're not a huge college baseball fan, typically the best pitchers will pitch on Friday night. Uh, That's kind of the standard in college baseball. Alabama scratched its starting pitcher. They started a sophomore who hadn't started in over a month. And Alabama loses that game 8-6 to LSU. Not a huge surprise. Again, uh, LSU, a fantastic team, a contender for the College World Series. And Alabama's a team that's kind of fighting for an NCAA tournament worth. So nothing extraordinarily surprising there. However, a couple days later, it's reported that Ohio has stopped taking bets on Alabama baseball due to suspicious activity around the game on Friday. Several other states also follow Ohio's lead and suspend all wagering activity on Alabama baseball. And then we start to find out some more details of the investigation and why this happened. Uh, there was a suspicious bet that was placed at the sports book at Great American Ballpark, which is where the Cincinnati Reds play. I believe that's a, a bet MGM uh, sports book there. And there was a, a suspicious bet or a couple of suspicious bets placed by one person at Great American Ballpark on that Alabama LSU game on Friday night. So a couple other states follow su- suit and say, you can't bet on Alabama baseball. Then, a few days later, on Thursday, May 5th, so less than a week after that game in question, that where the suspicious bet was placed, or the game that the suspicious bet was placed on, that occurred April 28th. On Thursday, May 4th, rather, Thursday, May 4th, Brad Bohannon, Alabama's baseball coach, head baseball coach, is fired. 
Then reports start to come out from with sourcing from people familiar with the investigation that sportsbook security footage shows that the person who placed those suspicious bets was actually communicating with Brad Bohannon while he was at the sportsbook placing the bets. That's what's being reported out. That's what's being alleged. Um, and that all comes out you know, shortly after Brad Bohannon is fired. So putting all of this together, what it essentially seems like and what's being alleged here, and Alabama, I want to make it very clear, Alabama has not come out and said Brad Bohannon was fired because of this. But just connecting the dots between the investigation and the fact that he was fired, it is it's alleged that Somebody placed a suspicious bet against Alabama and they were in communication with Brad Bohannon while they were placing that suspicious wager. Then Alabama goes and fires Brad Bohannon. So from this story, I understand it's very easy to say, oh my goodness, it seems like this coach was potentially throwing baseball games. He was in communication with somebody who bet against his own team. It was uh, there. He scratched. uh, The decision was made to scratch a starting pitcher. It very much feels like things are not on the up and up. And you have somebody who is going against the the integrity of the game, uh, against the spirit of competition, everything that everything that we love and value about sports. I mean, I think that's at the very top of the list. The fact that it's a competition that we don't know who's going to win and everybody is trying their absolute hardest to win a game. Uh, This all flies in the face of that. And it's very easy to draw the conclusion that something like, like what's alleged never would have happened if it weren't for legalized sports gambling. Because sports gambling is so in your face now it's being advertised here it's being advertised there you can pick up your phone you can place a bet you can walk to the sports book down the street you never could do any of these things before but now it's so in your face how could how could athletes or coaches or those around the sports not fall victim to the temptation of gambling and i think that's absolutely incorrect i think it is very likely that there have been things like this that have gone on in the past. In fact, there are famous examples of point-shaving scandals that have gone on in the past and we have found out about, but I think there are probably plenty of things we have never found out about. And the reason we haven't found out is because previously, unless you lived in the state of Nevada and you could go to a sports book legally and place that bet, you were wagering illegally. You were wagering with a bookie you were wagering with somebody who had a vested interest in not letting anybody uh, in an authority role know what they did. They didn't want the government to know what they did. They didn't want the police to know what they did. Uh, they, there was a vested interest in a bookie to keep things hush-hush. Well, that's not the case anymore. I believe the system is working exactly as it should. There was a suspicious bet placed. It was flagged, and now, less than a week later, 
someone who was allegedly involved in that suspicious bet, who was involved in the sport, has now been fired. If this person who placed the bet did everything exactly like they did, they were in communication with Brad Bohannon, uh, they placed this bet while they're in communication with Brad Bohannon, but they did it with the local bookie who operates out of the back of some bar or the back of some sub shop, or they go over to your house or whatever. If this person had placed the bet that way, there we would never have known about this. We would never, ever, ever have known. Think about that. So I believe that the fact that we have so much that sports gambling has become so accepted, that it has been legalized in so many different states, actually shines this light on any of the nefarious things that can happen that threaten the integrity of the game. It's so much more out in the open now. You don't have to go to some shady bookie. You can just open up your phone or go to the sports book. And because of that, we have more transparency. We have so much more transparency around this than we ever had before. So I take this whole saga as a good thing. That we are going to catch more of this than we ever would have before. We're going to catch more of what was alleged to have happened here than we ever would have before before sports gambling was widely legalized and widely accepted. So that is my main takeaway from the Brad Bohannon situation, that something nefarious is alleged to have been going on. It was caught very quickly because of the transparency, and then Brad Bohannon was fired. I chalk that up as a win to legalize sports gambling, uh, the transparency that we now have, and how quickly we can find problems and root them out of the system. Because the sports books have a very vested interest in making sure everything is on the up and up. The last thing a sports book wants is for people to think, ah, this is all rigged anyway. I'm not going to waste my money on that. That's not what a sports book wants. They want people going in there feeling like they have a fair chance at it. The leagues want to keep sports gambling alive and well, because sports gambling, sports books, have become such a large revenue stream as far as advertising goes. Everybody has a vested interest in making sure this is on the up and up, and I, I at the end of the day, this has been a terrible situation. Uh, you hate to ever see it, but I just think of how many similar situations we probably have never known about in the history of sports that are exactly like this because you don't have that you, we didn't have that transparency it wasn't so open there wasn't an organization who was who flagged this who could then go and investigate because it was the bet the suspicious bet placed was placed in the back of a bar with a neighborhood bookie so at the end of the day as bad as this situation is i think it's a win for legalized sports gambling, and a good thing. It shows what transparency can do, what openness can do. The next gambling story that I want to get to 
is the story that popped up this week about Iowa and Iowa State investigating athletes gambling. So Iowa announced earlier this week that 26 athletes across five sports and one full-time employee of the athletic department are suspected of wagering uh, and on sports, which is in violation of NCAA rules. Iowa State also has acknowledged that uh, about 15 athletes are suspected of, of gambling on sports, violating gambling rules. And this situation to me is very different than the Bohannon situation that we just talked about. Because the NCAA's rules state that you cannot wager on any sport that the NCAA has a championship for at any level. So you cannot bet on, even if you are a track and field athlete, you cannot bet on the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, because the PGA Tour, because the NCAA hosts championships in those sports. You cannot play fantasy football. You cannot participate in a March Madness pool. You can't do you, you can't do any of those things. Um so we don't know what the situation is here. We don't know if this was people playing fantasy football. We don't know if this was people placing if there were athletes who play or who are are uh wrestler or yeah, wrestlers uh at Iowa State. Iowa State's acknowledged that the athletes, um, suspected athletes, cross three sports, football, wrestling, and track and field. We don't know if it was an Iowa State wrestler put down 20 bucks on an NFL game. We don't know that. We don't know what the situation is here. And I think that's what makes it extraordinarily different from the Brad Bohannon situation. Now, I understand 100% why the NCAA has a rule like this. And I don't think it's too much to ask to just follow that rule for four years. I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense for a track and field athlete not to be able to bet on the NHL or the NBA. But you know what? It is important that all of this is seen as on the up and up, that there's nothing fishy going on, and I'm fine with it. I would also be fine if the NCAA said, College athletes, you just can't bet on college sports. You wrestle, you can bet on the NFL. You can bet on the NBA. That's fine. But you can't bet on, you can't bet on college football. Because at a lot of these universities, the athletes know each other. They could be, have access to inside information. And I, I completely understand why you wouldn't want that. So I would be fine with the NCAA amending its rules to say, you know, you just can't bet on on college sports if you are a college athlete, but you can bet on professional sports. I would also be fine with the NCAA leaving things exactly as it is and just really making sure folks understand you can't bet um, and you're going to come under, you're going to get punished if you do. Another really important part of this Iowa-Iowa State story that makes it different from the Brad Bohannon story 
is that there has been, it's being reported that there was no suspicious activity detected among any of these athletes that would have impacted betting lines. So, again, we don't know what the situation is here. It could have been playing fantasy football. It could have been a uh, wrestler placing a bet on the NFL, which to me is not nefarious. Uh, To me, it's just possibly a matter of somebody not understanding the rules or feeling like maybe the rule shouldn't apply, but it is a rule. I understand why it's a rule. I'm fine with the NCAA saying, yeah, you can bet on pro sports. You just can't bet on college sports. I'm fine with the NCAA keeping things exactly as is. I think there's a, if you're the NCAA, you really got to just, if you're going to leave it as is, you got to make sure you have people, people understand the severity of it, the importance of this rule and what can happen if you don't follow the rule. We'll see what happens in this case. I'm not going to make a prediction on you know, how long people are suspended for or anything along those lines because we just don't know the facts of the matter. But the important thing to me here is that no athletes, there's been no suspicious activity related to these athletes at Iowa or Iowa State. This seems much more similar to me Similar to me, uh, this seems similar to some of the situations we've seen recently in the NFL where folks have been suspended there. So that's what I have on those two gambling stories. On the first one, I think it just shows what transparency can do, how we can actually find the corruption in sports related to gambling. And on the second story, I just think folks got to understand, if you're a college athlete, you can't bet on sports any sport right now. You can't bet on anything. Regardless of if you think it's it's silly or not, you just can't do it. And I'd be fine with the NCAA saying, hey, you can bet on pro sports. You can't bet on college sports. There is no circumstance where college athletes should be allowed to bet on college sports. It just calls into question the integrity of things far too much. And uh, that's where I stand on that one. So a big week for gambling. Gambling was definitely not viewed in the most positive light this week. Uh, you know, I, I felt like we, I got to start with that today since we spent so much time talking about picks, talking about gambling on this podcast. Uh, and I will keep you posted on the latest as more news comes on the Iowa-Iowa State situation. And if we get any further news on the Brad Bohannon situation, uh, I expect at some point we will find out more there. This is not the end of that story just because he has been fired. But let's move on and actually talk about some sports. Let's talk about some football. And let's get into the Pac-12 season in review. Originally, I was going to do the Pac-12 and the SEC today, but I felt like with the gambling stories that I wanted to talk about, uh, I I wanted to do gambling, we'll do Pac-12, and then we'll let the SEC have its own spotlight. Because it is, after all, the league that just means more. It's the league that puts the most NFL draft uh, picks out there year in and year out. And it's the league with the defending back-to-back defending national champion. So we'll let the SEC have its own spotlight next week. Today, though, we're going to get into the Pac-12, the Conference of Champions. And other than a team who earned the right to play for the national championship or in the national championship tournament, I thought the Pac-12 had a fantastic year. Uh, 
really a college football playoff team was the only thing that they were missing. And for that reason, I give the Pac-12 a B plus. I thought it was a very competitive league, an entertaining league, an evenly matched league, a league where a lot of teams surprised and overachieved. Eight of the 12 teams in the league finished with a better S final SP plus than their preseason SP plus six finished in the SP plus top 25 six finished in the final CFP top 25 six finished in the AP top 25. So any way you slice it, there were six top 25s in the pack 12 half the league was in the, I'm sorry, not the top 12 in the top 25. Any way you slice it, half the Pac-12 was in the top 25. That makes for a very interesting, competitive, fun league. And then on top of that, it was just an entertaining league with some of the players and styles of play in the league. You had Caleb Williams at USC teaming up with Lincoln Riley again in uh, Riley's first year at USC. And Caleb, Caleb Williams went out and he won the Heisman Trophy as a quarterback at USC. You had Michael Penix reuniting with Kalen DeBoer at Washington in DeBoer's first year there. And you saw that cannon on Penix and he is just such a fun guy to watch, and he was healthy last year, and he was really clicking in that Kalen DeBoer offense. And then on the kind of opposite side of things, when you think about offense, you had UCLA that had one of the most entertaining rushing attacks in the country, and then you had Utah, and Utah did what Utah does, which is just win, 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 and go and win the conference championship. So I thought last year was a fantastic year for the Pac-12. Like I said, the one thing they were missing was that CFP team. And Utah, or uh, USC rather, was on the verge. They couldn't quite get there. But it, it was the first year for Lincoln Riley. In year one, to be on the verge of the college football playoff, to make the Pac-12 championship game and, and fall short to the team that I, I think justifiably is described, should be described as kind of the the dominant force at this point in the Pac-12. They're kind of the king. They're on top. Uh, to me, they don't have the prestige of USC or even Oregon for that matter, but right now, Utah is the best of the best in the Pac-12, and they, they're the team that you have to take down. And USC uh, lost... Uh, unbelievable mid-season game to them, a 43-42 shootout. And then they lost them in the Pac-12 championship game. And they got to get over that Utah hump, and I think they will. If not this year, then next year or the year after. Sometime within these first four years of the Lincoln-Riley era, they're going to get past Utah. And they came damn close in year one. So for Utah to, or for USC rather, to go 10-2 and in, in year one, Unbelievable start for them. They fell just short of the playoff. And then for Utah, Utah's season really, if Utah beats Florida in the opening week of the season, I think you're, I can't say you're talking about a playoff team because they had three regular season losses 
but it really put them on the path where they had to be essentially perfect from that point forward. And they dropped a, a road game to UCLA, dropped a road game to Oregon in conference. And uh, it's hard to knock a team too much for that. I, I thought all year last year, the Pac-12 needed more respect. Uh, I would have been fine with, like, I would have been fine with a one-loss Pac-12 team getting in over Ohio State, a one-loss Ohio State team. Because I think, on the whole, the Pac-12 was a tougher league than the Big Ten and the schedule that that Ohio State played last year. I would have been fine with that. Unfortunately for the Big 12, that team didn't exist. There wasn't a one-loss team. You had a two-loss USC team. You had a two-loss Washington team. You had a two-loss, or a three-loss, rather, Oregon team, or a, a Utah team, and then Oregon. I think Oregon was a two-loss regular season team as well. So you just didn't have that one-loss team. If you did, I'm sorry, Oregon was a three-loss team in the regular season. But if you did have that one-loss team, I think I would have been I would have been absolutely fine with them getting in over Ohio State. It would have been interesting if there was a one-loss Pac-12 team to see who would have gotten in between Ohio State, TCU, and that one-loss Pac-12 team. That would have been a, a little interesting little wrinkle to last season. But unfortunately for the Pac-12, it didn't happen. And that's what they need to do next is get a team into the college football playoff and preferably to the national championship game. Now, things obviously get a lot tougher for them. As much momentum as they built last season, as fun as that year was, as as happy was I, as I was to give them a B-plus grade, this will be the last year with, with USC and UCLA before they move on to the Big Ten. And that's a huge blow, obviously. So it feels like a lot of that momentum that was built last year is stunted a little bit between the departure of those two L.A. schools and then the TV rights negotiations that don't seem to be looking fantastic for the Pac-12 and what they're able to command in the marketplace. And uh, hence the pay potential payout that the 10 schools remaining are going to be receiving and you know what that means for them competing with the SEC and, and the Big Ten moving forward. So it's tough from that perspective. I didn't grade them based on that. But it's just disappointing that even though there was a lot of momentum being built in the league last year with the play on the field, a lot of that feels like it's going to be halted with the departure of USC and UCLA. And it's been halted a bit with all these media rights discussions where it's like kind of back to the same old thing where it's like, okay, the Pac-12 is not like these other leagues. Um, and that's disappointing because I thought it was a really fun league to watch this past season so let's get into the actual categories here of of the teams in the league and there are a bunch of teams in this satisfied category because it was a really good year for a lot of teams so in this satisfied category of course I have the conference champion Utah I have the team that lost to them in the conference championship game, nearly made the college football playoff, had a Heisman Trophy winner in year one under new head coach Lincoln Riley, USC, their crosstown rival UCLA, Washington, who won 10 games under first-year head coach Kalen DeBoer. They return quarterback Michael Penix, who is perhaps going to be a Heisman Trophy contender 
in the year ahead, and Washington won 10 regular season games. I just want to clarify, 10 regular season games, 11 games overall. That is an outstanding first year for Kalen DeBoer and the Washington Huskies. Then I have Oregon State, who Oregon State, you might not know, also won double-digit games. You might just not realize that Oregon State won double-digit games last season, 10-3 and overall. And now, not only did they win 10 games last year, not only have they risen up from the depths of the Pac-12, really the depths of the country, but they bring in for next season a quarterback who was very highly rated and has shown flashes, has shown improvement, maybe not to the level that we have wanted to see, but he has certainly improved year over year. And that's DJ Wiangalale from Clemson. And all the reports are here is that he is a great fit at Oregon State, and maybe Oregon State was a better place for him than Clemson. So Oregon State, they got to be ecstatic coming out of last season. They're certainly satisfied. Now let's move on to some teams that didn't have very successful 2022 seasons, but are really excited for what the future potentially offers. And first, I mean, there's no team that meets this criteria better in the entire country than the Colorado Buffaloes. They went 1-11 last year. Uh, For my money, they were the worst team in all of college football. And I think, like, most metrics would show they're right near the bottom as well. In SP+, they were 124th. I believe there are 131 FBS football teams, or there were 131 FBS football teams uh, last season. And uh, that that's how bad they were. 124th in SP+, out of one. 31. But all that has changed. All that has changed because Deion Sanders has come to Boulder and he has completely re-energized that fan base, that program. He's put them back on the national map. There's a lot to be excited about. However, there are some concerning things too. They have lost a ton of players in the transfer portal. They brought a ton in as well. I think they're upgrading the talent, but you still need bodies and they are missing bodies right now in a big way. Nonetheless, Colorado fans are definitely excited. Whether it works out or not remains to be seen, but there is excitement in Boulder for the first time in a long time because Deion Sanders is the head coach at Colorado. The other team that I think is pretty excited heading that, that did not have a good year, that fired a coach in 2022, but is excited for the future, is Arizona State. Arizona State moves on from Herm Edwards. They go three and lot three and nine last year, and they make the decision to move on from Herm Edwards, longtime NFL coach, really probably best known for his NFL days, his NFL years, and they go in a very different direction. They bring in Kenny Dillingham. They bring Kenny Dillingham to Tempe. He will be Arizona's next head coach. He's a 
young guy, 33 years old. He is an Arizona guy. He went to Arizona State. He's coached uh, high school football in Arizona. He was a uh, he was had been on the Arizona State staff previously. Most recently, he was at Oregon as their offensive coordinator with Dan Lanning, and he's a guy that's really kind of polar opposites in a lot of ways as Herm Edwards, where Herm was supposed to be this kind of hands off CEO elder statesman type. This is a <laughs> a kind of opposite end of the spectrum, a hard-hitting, you know, young, energetic uh, guy who's expected to recruit really well there. And I think that change in energy, that change of pace has been really exciting for Arizona State fans, and especially to have somebody, you know, that's kind of one of their own, uh, a Sun Devil returning home. Anybody kind of returning home is always exciting. Um, and Arizona State's no different. So I think they're, despite the poor results in 2022, despite the coaching change, or maybe because of the coaching change, there's a lot of excitement going into 2023 and beyond for the Arizona State Sun Devils. My next category here is just kind of meh. And it's the two Bay Area teams, Cal and Stanford. Cal, Stanford makes a coaching change. They move on from David Shaw. They go three and nine last year, and they've really just been stuck in the mud here. And they bring in Troy Taylor. And Troy Taylor is the former Sacramento State head coach who moves up from the FCS level. And, you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know a ton about Troy Taylor. I don't follow the FCS very closely, and I don't know much about Troy Taylor. But I do know that there's not a buzz around Stanford the way there is around Colorado and Dion, or even Kenny Dillingham and Arizona State. And it just seems like they, this Stanford program is so far removed from the glory days of Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw and Andrew Luck, where they were kind of the class of the Pac-12, and they were just kind of... They, they were a dominant team in the Pac-12, and they did it in their own unique way, their own unique style. And uh, it, it just, there's not a lot of energy. There's not a lot of excitement around that program. And the same can be said for Cal, the other Bay Area team. Cal went 4-8 and eight last year. Cal just seems stuck in the mud under their head coach, Justin Wilcox. And, you know, I just don't know... I think both of those places are very difficult places to win. Justin Wilcox has put some really good defenses on the field during his time at Cal. Uh, they they really haven't been able to figure out the offensive side of the ball, and things just feel stuck there. It just perfectly fits this description of meh, bleh. Like, I don't have much of an interest in turning on a Cal football game. And uh, I don't know what they, I don't know what they do about that right now. So the Bay Area teams, they feel stuck. They feel mediocre, worse than mediocre. They just don't feel very interesting at this moment. And then there was a couple teams you know, I think I should have put Washington State. I, I don't know where to put either of these teams. 
Oregon and Washington State. So I'm just going to talk about them together. So I didn't have a category for them. And Oregon, um, Oregon under first-year coach Dan Lanning, they had a nice year. They lose yet another head coach in Mario Cristobal, who moves on to Miami, goes home to Miami, and they bring in Dan Lanning. They get embarrassed by Georgia to start the year, but they rebound really nicely. They end up having a really good year. Bo Nix looks really good for much of the season. They have an explosive offense, and they roll off eight in a row after beat after getting beat down by Georgia to open the season. They lose a couple close ones, one to Washington, and then one on the road to in-state rival Oregon State, which that is why I just can't put that this year as a happy and satisfied season for Oregon because they looked like they were going to be a college ball playoff contender in November, and then they lose two of their last three regular season games to their two biggest rivals in Washington and Oregon State. And that's not good. That kept them out of the the Pac-12 championship game. And they beat Utah in the middle of those two games. So it was right there for the taking. I think there's still a lot of excitement around Dan Lanning, Bo Nix coming back for another year. But to lose two of your last three to your two biggest rivals, it, it stops me from putting you in that satisfied category, that happy and satisfied category. So I would say they are happy, but not yet satisfied. Happy, but wanting a little bit more. They want to be a playoff team. Washington State had an up-and-down year. They finished 7-6. and six. Uh, They, you know, it felt like I kept waiting for them to turn a corner. I was somebody who was a very big fan of this team throughout the, coming into the year and throughout a lot of the year, and I kept waiting for them to turn a corner. They had a tough game against Oregon early in the year. It was a great game. They lose 44-41. to It was a game that it felt like they really should have won. Um, they lose to Utah 21-17. They didn't beat... The thing with this Washington State team is it felt like they beat everybody they should beat, and they lost to everybody they should lose to. They finish off the year with a loss... It's a Fresno State, which isn't great. So I, at Washington State, it's hard to ever say, like, you should expect nine, ten wins or anything like that. You know, seven wins is, is nothing to sneeze at. But I think it's a little bit the fact of their wins were Idaho, a Wisconsin team that fired its coach, Colorado State, Cal, and Stanford, which I both put in the meh category, Arizona State, and Arizona. Uh, so... I believe they beat one bowl team. I believe Wisconsin, who fired its coach, was the only bowl team they beat. And then they fell short. Like, if they just win that Oregon game that I referenced, and everything else stays the same, and they got off to a 5-0 and start to the season before going a respectable 8-5, and I think they're still happy they're still excited, uh, and I, I'm more willing to put them in that satisfied category. But I think they are happy, want more. Quarterback Cameron Ward does return 
I think they have some reason to be excited going into this season, but I can't say they were totally satisfied with the season they had last year. Okay, so the last team that I have here on my list is the Arizona Wildcats. And on the field in 2022, Arizona had a really nice season. They went 5-7. and seven. They fell just short of a bowl game. It was a huge improvement over the previous year when they went 1-11. and 11. Um, And they had a fun year. They had an enjoyable year. They won more games than anybody thought they were, were going to win last year. However, I think it's far more important right now to talk about what's been going on off the field over the last week than their successful 2022 season. A report surfaced last week that returning Arizona starting quarterback Jaden DeLara and Wisconsin safety Kamoyla too have settled a lawsuit filed by a woman who alleges that the two sexually assaulted her in 2018. And one of the things that has come out of this civil complaint is that Latou and Delara both pleaded guilty to second-degree sexual assault in family court, and according to the lawsuit, neither served jail time. Their punishment was rather to write letters of apology. And this is coming from this civil complaint because both Latou and Jaden Delara were minors at the time that the alleged assault occurred, so those records are sealed because they're juvenile. They were, they were juveniles at the time. It says in this civil complaint, it reportedly says in this civil complaint that Jaden Delara pled guilty to second degree sexual assault. And obviously that is startling. It's, it's shocking. And all of this information coming to light needs to be taken extraordinarily seriously. Now, Arizona did release a statement that essentially says they became aware of the allegations against Delora when the civil complaint was filed in fall of 2022. They say they reviewed the matter and they made a determination to allow Delora to continue as a student athlete. They also say that his status remains unchanged. It appears at this time like Delora will continue to be a member of the Arizona football team. But this is a story I'll continue to monitor and continue to discuss and update you on as more information becomes available. That's our show for today. Appreciate you joining me, and I will talk to you next week.